two factors seem to be dominating New York real estate right now. Soaring multifamily rents, thanks to a shortage of housing supply, and on the other end of the spectrum, millions of square feet of unused office space, just basically sitting there. Policymakers think these two issues can be melded together to find a solution by making that dead office space into homes. Well, now the mayor says he has a plan to address that. He wants to use unused office space and convert it into housing. And he says if his plan is approved, well, it could create an additional 20,000 homes over the next decade. The answer seems obvious, but actually making it happen is a different story. This is BizNow Reports. I'm Miriam Hall. And on this episode, we're talking about office to residential conversion and the types of solutions to the complex problems that are on the table. That sort of declining demand is a systemic issue that all of the office market has to contend with. And there are likely assets among the larger collection of office buildings um, that their highest and best use is no longer office use. That's Nicole LaRusso. She's the Vice President for US Field Research and Data Intelligence at CBRE. She's also been serving on the city's Office Adaptive Reuse Task Force, which this month released a study with 11 concrete recommendations to make changes to state laws and city zoning rules that the task force argues could make 136 million square feet of office space available for conversion. That task force had 12 people from the world of architecture, development, economics, finance, law and advocacy, and was led by Dan Gorodnik, the head of the City Planning Commission. There are a lot of regulations that inhibit residential conversion uh, in parts of the city based on the age and the location. And so part of the task force's recommendations were to expand the eligibility, if you will, for our office to residential conversion in the city. So I think that, you know, if, the, if these recommendations were adopted, we could see many more buildings at least being having a, a more um, obvious path forward for residential conversion. Of course, there's a lot of other things that um, will impact whether or not buildings actually convert and you know, those have to do with um, you know, what is the current occupancy of those buildings, what is the architecture of those buildings, um, and also what are the finances associated with the building and a potential conversion project. So a lot of stars have to align <laughs> to make a conversion project happen. But I think the, the important, one of the important takeaways from the work of the task force was we wanted to expand the universe of of office buildings um, that could at least be potentially um, converted to residential use. Right now, most office buildings in business areas outside the financial district have to be built before 1961 to make use of the most flexible reuse regulations. The task force recommends allowing flexibility to buildings built through to 1990, which would actually open up 120 million square feet of office space to conversion. Another 16 million square feet of office space could be found, the task force said, by allowing conversions in all high-intensity office districts. Plus, the report suggests changing the rules to allow residential development in places that right now don't allow it at all, like parts of midtown Manhattan. Right now, you can only turn an office building into dwelling units, but what if the task force says you could actually turn them into supportive housing instead? They also want to get rid of the minimum parking requirements for conversions, and remove the rooftop open space requirement that was put into the zoning resolution 40 years ago. I think expectations for there being a 
um, you know, a mass a wave of conversions in sort of dramatic fashion is really unrealistic. Um, but there are opportunities out there. And, you know, there we I think what the task force was trying to do was say, OK, let's see, let's let's make it more feasible that where that we might be seeing vacancy, we can align all these other regulations so that, you know, again, sort of making those stars align. So if you do have a vacant asset that was built in 19 or, or a substantially vacant asset or you're expecting a vacancy, a lot of vacancy um, or a lot of lease expirations in the next few years and the building was built in the late 80s, well, maybe that becomes a target for conversion that wouldn't have been um, or won't, is not under the current regulatory um, environment, but if we can change those regulations, then those buildings can become a target. So, so you're, I think you're absolutely right. It is a big challenge um, to to find that opportunity um, because even though buildings are um, maybe seeing increases in vacancy, they're often not vacant, wholly vacant. What about when we talk about it from a values perspective? There's been so much commentary in the last year about how much an office building on would need to fall in value for for its owner to consider it converting it. Are we at the point yet where we are seeing some major declines in value where it would make economic sense for a building to be converted to residential? I think those are case by case. I think generally speaking, there are a host of office buildings uh, in New York City where the prospects for future leasing and rent growth are getting less optimistic. And as that plays out, you know, expectations of return um, at from, fu- from future office use are going to go down, valuations and, and whatnot. And I think you're seeing that in some of the um, you know, the, the lending decisions that are being made right now where it's hard to refinance some of those older assets where the, they're questioning, okay, who's going to come in and take this space in the future and at what cost or what rent? And so um, certainly that's not the case of all office buildings, but it is the case for some. And so it will take some time for, uh, you know, I think current owners and investors to figure out what the future value of their building is likely to be and whether or not it makes sense to to convert. Um, certainly, I think the good news is that in New York City, even throughout all of this um, tumult, the uh, good news if you're an investor, that is, is that the, um, you know, housing rents have continued to gone up, go up, vacancy continues to decline. And so, you know, there, there's, there seems to be a lot of strength on the residential side in terms of demand. So that, you know, those two things are sort of in flux constantly and I think will continue to evolve in a way that might make um, some projects that don't seem viable today maybe somewhat more viable two years from now or five years from now. Do you think that conversation is going to begin in earnest now? You know, we are, as you say, it's not an overnight conversation. It's not going to happen overnight, but we are three years into this work from home pandemic um, conversation. Do you think 2023 is the year where some serious kind of planning for the future might happen with certain buildings? I think it's, I think certainly uh, investors, landlords are going to look at their building, particularly if they're facing a significant upcoming tenant role. Right. And as they're seeing, you know, what the demand looks like for their asset, I do think they're going to at least give it some thought. I think, you know, the task force 
made recommendations, nothing has changed yet. And so, in, you know, I think it will take some time for these regulations to come into effect. Hopefully they will. And that will be another catalyst for consideration. But in, at the moment, I think it's, you know, somewhat um, perhaps outside of lower Manhattan, those conversations maybe are just uh, thought experiments less than sort of a hard look, considering that there are still, um, you know, from a regulatory standpoint, obstacles to making those conversions work. But in lower Manhattan, and I think that example of 25 Water Street is a good one, is, you know, certainly I think we're, we are seeing more momentum in the lower Manhattan market towards residential conversion because the regulations are more favorable there. And also there are, you know, a collection of assets in that market that their competitiveness um, on the landscape of overall Manhattan office demand is, is getting less and less. The thing is, this has been done before to an extent. In Lower Manhattan, the 1989 recession hit the office market hard, largely because it came after a period of immense speculative office development through the 1980s. In 1994, vacancy in Lower Manhattan was as high as 25%, far higher than the rest of the city. And similar story to today, the older buildings were the worst affected. The city made a plan to fix it. Changes to zoning meant buildings built before 1977 in that area could be converted, overriding that 1961 rule. Plus, a new tax incentive called 421G was rolled out. That incentive, which has since sunsetted, was used to convert nearly 13 million square feet of office space downtown, according to analysis from the Citizens Budget Commission. Barsha Gerhads is the Senior Vice President of Planning at the Real Estate Board of New York, and she was also on the task force. Conversions are not quick money. Um, these are not easy. You're, you're dealing with an individual building with its individual quirks and, and characteristics, right? Where, where is the core? How large is the floor plate? How big is the building? How many square feet are we talking about? Is it 100,000? Is it 200,000? Is it a million square feet? All of these factors um, kind of play into the cost of converting that building. At the end of the day, a successful um, tax incentive or a tax tool is going to recognize that there are significant hard costs that need to be addressed in conversions. The task force study recommends creating a tax incentive to provide support for mixed income housing, mainly because the current analysis suggests turning a whole office building into a totally affordable housing development wouldn't financially work. You know, there's a question of what's happening on the office market side and the impact to the tax revenue of the city. And is there a way to have a net gain here by incentivizing the conversion? And um, Citizens Budget Commission um, released their report looking at the 421G program where they saw there was a net gain over time to the city by incentivizing this. Um, looking at tax tools that have been announced across the country to um, encourage office conversions, typically they pair them with regulatory relief, uh, some requirement for a percentage of affordable housing for you know, an extended period of time. These are not five-year abatements. These are not 10-year abatements. We're looking at 20 to 30 years of abated taxes in exchange for affordability and for um, providing the incentive to kind of get someone over the hump of, of doing the conversion. So it doesn't exist at all in New York at the moment, these types of, these types of incentives? Right now, there is no tax tool geared for the private sector um, for, I want to say, the conversion of mixed income housing. There are tools in place through the city and state that are really geared for 100% affordable um, projects or um, supportive housing projects, but there's nothing really tailored to the considerations for an office to residential conversion that includes the private sector and, and is focused on, I want to say, a mix of, of uh, housing incomes or, or AMIs as part of that. 
So you think that would make a difference if there was something like that available? A hundred percent. So this has happened in other cities around the US. Why not in New York, do you think? Why not till now? You know, that is an excellent question for the state legislative body. Uh, They've drafted quite a few uh, proposals. Um, I think, you know, we've been talking about how we have a housing crisis for at least the last several years and and, and the need to address it. There's a lot of uh, different things out there. Um, I would say we need tools to help us preserve what we have. Most of our housing is more than 20 to 30 years old, if not, you know, much older. Actually, three out of our four units were built prior to 1974. Only 10% of our housing production has happened in the last decade. So we definitely need tools for that. Um, We also haven't been producing enough housing. So if one way we can solve that is taking these obsolete office buildings and converting them to residential, then conceptually, yes, we we should all be in a good place to agree and and be able to move forward. You know, as soon as we start talking tax abatements, you know, people's ears prick up um yeah you mentioned that that it would actually be a good thing for the city it's a a net positive because obviously an empty office building is worth less therefore returning less tax to the city than a full apartment building can you break that down Sure. So one way to think about this is you, you, you can't compare a new residential building or even a converted residential building to the one Vanderbilt's of the world, right? Um, we, we want Class A office space. Um, they do a lot for our city tax base in terms of um, the taxes, one, they're paying, but also the jobs they have, both in terms of like who is working in the office, the money that is being spent around those buildings in terms of like indirect economic outputs. So those, those buildings are really important to that, uh, I want to say the health of the city's tax base. Compare that to a office building that is vacant uh, or mostly vacant, um, where you don't necessarily employ building service workers, maybe because it's a it's a smaller building or it's an older building. Um, you don't have tenants in place who are spending money in the neighborhood. And, and over time, the assessed value of that building will go down, which means they're going to pay less in taxes um, or less in commercial taxes for the, for the city. That is the building now that we are going to compare to a, a residential building. So in New York City, residential buildings do pay, especially for multifamily rental, do pay, I want to say, a higher tax burden than in other municipalities. So, you know, typically we estimate anywhere uh, northward of, of 30% um, could be uh, not atypical, actually, in, in Manhattan. So that's a pretty large uh, tax number. Um, also, over time, residential net operating income tends to be higher than, say, the commercial operating income on a personal square footage basis for, um, I want to say, one of these older office buildings or the class B or C office buildings. So what happens over time is if we can convert those class B and C to residential, um, one, they're going to start paying more in taxes um, because it's a residential use and that's considered a higher use and a higher assessed value as compared to the, the obsolete office building. And even with the provision of the incentive, what the Citizens Budget Commission report found with 421G was there was a, a net gain and, and providing that incentive and encouraging people to convert versus holding on to, I wanna say, a languishing asset, um, not investing in capital, not taking the risk, um, that actually did pay off in the long run for the, for the city. So even a full market rate building is worth more to the city as a whole than an empty office building. Is that right? Correct. Okay. Right. And even a a residential building with affordable units and a tax abatement is worth more to the city than an empty office building. So do you feel positive about this? I mean, I know that you've spent a lot of time on it and 
I mean, do you really think this is going to, that's not going to fix everything, but do you think we're going to see some actual change with this? You know, at the end of the day, this is up to the public policymakers. How 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 much change are we going to see? Are they going to adopt rules that create flexibility? Um, you know, I sure hope everyone reads the report because I think it's helpful in terms of explaining why these kinds of changes are important. Uh, you know, but ultimately, you know, I'm I'm not a gambling person. You know, it's hard to say how people feel about things. The I think what I feel very comfortable saying is there is a need to do something. Um, these office buildings are not going to reoccupy. I think that's been made pretty clear. We're now on year three of of the pandemic and and this kind of office correction. Um, Class A construction is still moving forward and leasing activity is robust there. And then certainly um, removing a portion of the market that's kind of dragging down everything else just helps on, on, on that end as well. And we need more housing. And it's really hard to build new construction and really hard to build affordable housing in places like Midtown Manhattan. So this seems like a really great opportunity and ultimately it's up to the public policymakers to take advantage of that. The whole point of this is to help the city recover, bring down rents that are putting strain on people right across the income strata. So how effective is this going to be? If it does work, and it does happen, if, what the mayor is saying, 20,000 units are created, how far will that go to fixing these twin problems? This isn't a panacea. This does not cure the ills. What this is to me is a first step. That's Thomas Lasavia. He's a senior economist and the director of economic research with Moody's Analytics CRE. It's a signal of what may be an emerging trend of public-private partnerships or the, more importantly maybe, the relaxation of a lot of the archaic zoning laws that have prevented a lot of multifamily development throughout the city for decades. So I don't look at the office to multifamily conversion as certainly not a quick fix. It's going to take office values to decline. It's going to take a lot of firms to decide they want to shed quite a bit of space. Moody's analysis earlier in 2022 showed that 3% of office space right now in the city is eligible for conversion. But Thomas says that will need to be revised in the light of these recommendations to show what the percentage increase might be. If our forecast for offices isn't dire, and if you look at a lot of the physical structure of offices and you think about construction costs, a lot of that doesn't add up to making repurposing from office to multifamily easy. Well, that's for sure. So, so it's not easy. We are being maybe conservative with that 3% number. There's a lot of maybe older class BC out there throughout the metropolitan area that there is uh, potential, especially if we do see office values drop a little bit more in those particular areas. But again, this is not a quick fix. This is a situation where even if office values drop, even if we don't expect offices values to drop or that there wouldn't be this great need in New York for offices, this is going to take some time. 
the idea of this being more of a signal that there are those not only thinking about it, but finally trying to act on how to go about doing this in the best way. Thomas Lasavia, senior economist at Moody's. Before that, Rebney's Basha Gerhards and Nicola Russo, the vice president for US field research at CBRE. Basha and Nicole were both on the task force, and I'm leaving a link to that study in the show notes, as well as other stories that we've done on the subject of office to residential conversions. I'm Miriam Hall. Thanks for listening.